everybody and welcome to Babu's freaking podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in our galaxy far, far away. My name is Grand Moff Mark Valentine and as always I'm joined by Brian Porkins Lee. Brian. Hello there. General Kenobi. <laughs> Rounding out our Jedi Council is none other than Mike Kiati Ruby. Mike, how are you my friend? Hey, it's me. <laughs> Hey, can I give a peek behind the curtain real quick? I'm not 100% sure we are live. We are not we're, live. So are we recording? We're, we're actually we're coming just, to you from beyond the other side of the force. That we are. We're recording live on the Roadcaster. Thank God for that record button, Brian Lee. Because oh. if not, we are not recording live on Restream right now. We, we had some technical issues. We hit the live button. And then Facebook said, not today, sucker. <laughs> so thank God that we're, we are recording. We were going to give it a shot and try to go live and have a audience, but we do not ultimately today. So we apologize to those of you who tried to tune in on YouTube and Facebook only to be shut down by something that inevitably went wrong on the filtering end of Facebook, because I always blame Mark Zuckerberg for all of life's ills. I will do so here as well. So guys, uh, I missed you. We do not rank. We do not grant him the rank of master. Uh, no, he is not granted the rank of master to be sure. Uh, I missed you guys. I just returned from Disney, had a chance to visit the, uh, the Mecca of star Wars galaxy's edge, so to speak. It was really fun just to let you know quick. The, uh, the short, short version of my trip, we went four for four on rise of the resistance uh, this guy right here had a chance to join me on one of those rides. Brian Lee and I had a chance to rise with Poe Dameron and we took on Kylo Ren. Uh, lots of fun, but uh, it is very good to be back in this galaxy here. Thank you guys. Um, I missed you. Yes, I missed you too. That was It was super fun to do Rise of the Resistance. Thank you for letting me crash your party one day. Uh, we did get the B version of Rise of the Resistance. We didn't get the full kylo animatronic but i love his tie fighter so it's okay by me yeah i mean it works as as far as b versions of rides go it works i always find for someone who rides that you know uh, a bunch of times it's always fun to see the little differences and even when there's like technological glitches it's cool to see how disney works around problems there were a few and the ride on the last day we actually opted to not ride it the fourth time they were having some issues with the boarding groups that day and it was almost 12 o'clock and they were only to like boarding group 20 and we were in the forties and I just assessed the situation and I was like, nah, you know what? The, the real feel was one Oh eight that day. The parks were extraordinarily hot and I went for uh Batu, not for Mustafar. So I ditched. So I ditched. I didn't want to be burned by the lava in Florida. I hate you. <laughs> So guys, here's what we're going to do today. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the final episode of The Bad Batch. And then uh, we're going to play a little game inspired by Marvel's What If. We're going to extend the same concept over to the Star Wars universe and apply it to uh, the films that we know and love. All right, guys, let's talk about that last episode, 16, Camino Lost, which was this, uh, 
two-parter in episode 15 when we last discussed Kamino was being lit up by the Empire. Uh, this episode effectively puts a bow on the Clone Wars, marking the end of an era for those of us who have been enjoying the Clone Wars. The destruction of the cloning facility complete. This episode focuses mainly on the Bad Batch and Crosshairs and their daring escape and their race against time to get off of a very sinking Kaminoan cloning facility. Uh, gentlemen, did this episode impress you? Was it everything that you hoped for for season one finale? Uh, was it a good ending to season one, Brian Lee? I think it was an okay ending uh, for a season. I mean, obviously, it would not have been a good ending for a series finale, but I mean, that's that's not what it was supposed to be. So um, I was underwhelmed by the season finale, to be 100% honest. I really liked part one of the finale. I thought that was had a lot of the emotional ties and everything going, I, I, there was a couple of things that just kind of took me out of this finale. One, they come up to the surface and the sun is shining on Camino for the first time ever. That really bugged me for some reason. Um, and two, like, it's not like the empire is exactly going to take crosshair back in. And he just decides to stay on the planet when there's nobody there. Like, I don't understand that entire thought process. There was just a couple of things that I'm, I'm a little bit confused by. I think they are setting up a good story. For redemption, I'm glad Crosshair wasn't fully redeemed and he didn't go back on his word of removing the chip and then just deciding against it. Yeah. I Overall, I was underwhelmed um, with the finale. I'm excited for where the story's going to go. I'm still obviously going to watch season two. I really, really enjoyed part one of the finale. Yeah. Mike, did, did the finale impress you? Was it everything you hoped for? Did it fall flat? What was your reaction to it? It wasn't everything I hoped for. Uh, I liked it. I, I thought there were things that were neat about it. I thought the ending fell flat. Um, I think the stakes fell flat. It was uh, it was a beautifully done and, and got us out. But, you know, I think like Ryan said, I just didn't understand a lot of what they did with the storytelling. And when it ended, I just kind of said that that's the end. Like there was no it, it didn't really build anything. And, and what exactly is Crosshair going to do? On Camino, what is he, is he going to go like ride the water dragons? Is he going to go like hitch a ride on a stingray to like the next, you know, the next system over? Like they they left him there. <laughs> he's just he's just chilling on an island in the sun. You know, the one sunny day in Camino. What's he going to do when the rain comes back? So let me ask you guys this. Let me pose it this way. Do you think the fact we talked about this on the last podcast, the fact that Disney announced the season two did that to us, that it it made us underwhelmed because. I didn't, it didn't have the same stakes. I thought nope. maybe we would lose somebody, but I was like, okay, we're getting a season two. So there's going to be people getting out. It was just a matter of, are we going to lose one of the bad batch? But I had that kind of like in my ear and in my mind the whole time of we're getting a season two. So I wasn't on pins and needles as they were trying to escape. I thought, you know, I'm like, they're not going to lose Omega they might lose the robot, but even the robot made it out. Even the droid made it out. Yeah. AZ, <laughs> like I had enough of, of AZ. Like I, I think he's kind of reached his limit for me and that's hard to do with droids. Um, but for, for me, like I'm honestly okay with the timing of the season two announcement now, just because had, had it ended in the same manner and we didn't officially know about a season two, even though it would have very much meant there was a season two, like, I don't know. Like I came into the episode expecting a whole lot less because I knew there was a season two and I wasn't on pins and needles. So honestly, the timing of it had that, had we gotten the same episode and I came in expecting something grand, like the end of the bad batch kind of deal. Like that would have been a, uh, an even bigger bummer. So here's, here's the perfect scenario for me would have been a Loki style reveal of episode ends. Credits start to roll, but then you have like another burning logo you saying, needed something more dramatic then season like, yeah season two got. yep season two will return something like that that would have been the only way it could have worked for me mike did did it underwhelm you because we knew we were getting a season two i mean there were no stakes i agree there were no stakes uh, yeah I, I i was much less interested in the finale knowing that it was going to be back for next season i feel like everything that they did better than anyone has ever done with the finale of Mandalorian season two. They dropped the ball here. 
They, they, they didn't give us a satisfying ending. There was nothing at stake. And they told us there was going to be another season. There yeah. was, there was nothing here that made it exciting. I, just, I, I feel like it was a real, a real fizzle rather than a, rather than a, for everything. A bang. Yeah. For everything that the Mandalorian did great, they seemingly flopped with the way that they rolled out the finale of it. And they know how to end something. I mean, they, they and animated stuff. They know how to end animated stuff. They showed that to you with the ending of the Clone Wars, with the last four series season arc and the last four episodes of Ahsoka's storyline. They know how to put a bow on it. They well, just, yeah, but to play devil's advocate, we spent years and years and years of people telling them they didn't know how to end an animated story because season seven of the Clone Wars didn't exist. Like, they got lucky of getting the this the season seven to eventually happen to be able to tie up the story how they wanted to. That's a great point. Yep. That's a great point for years. We had those slings and arrows of people saying like, that was it. That's how you ended the clone wars. I forgot that very fair, man. Very fair. I, I agree with all of that stuff. So uh, in this episode, crosshair is saved by Omega and then he returns the favor in kind. You guys kind of said this before, but let's, let's talk about this. The one thing I just did not understand with this episode was Crosshair specifically. He was the one character that I felt like um, they were drawing him really well, that his character was, I liked where he was going. And then this episode, it leaves him in this really awkward gray area. Is he good? Is he bad? What's he going to do? I mean, it just was a very awkward scenario for me that it was like, okay, well, where do we go with him from here like the empire left him for dead literally left him for dead and he's gonna go back to them that made no sense I'm, yeah i don't understand why he's loyal to the empire at all I, I i really don't know what his motivations are anymore you know i understood it when it was i'm following orders i'm a good soldier and i understood it when it was my brothers betrayed me and now why what is what is he really clinging to what's important to him i think they've they've danced him around in such a circle you know i i'd be more satisfied if they left him confused on camino trying to figure things out but having this blind loyalty and suddenly saying you know i'm siding with the empire because they're the ones who are winning just feels really out of character like i i just don't see him as an opportunist i he always felt like you know he may have been a scoundrel but he was a scoundrel with honor and or at least a at least a perceived sense of honor even if it was not you know the way that the rest of the galaxy would see it and now he's suddenly just a, a dude for hire who's going to go whichever way the wind blows i mean maybe he really is dengar maybe he really is going to be a bounty hunter like his allegiances don't make any sense at all they could have easily have fixed his character for me by doing just that. Uh, any realistic person would not have any love or loyalty to the organization that just tried to end them. I could very well see him becoming a free agent and then him saying to them, like, listen, I don't want to spend the rest of my life on the run. I'll find something to do. Him resurfacing as a bounty hunter or a mercenary made a heck of a lot more sense than him just like blindly going back to the Empire with the, the idea of, well, they're the, the ones that won, so I have to go back and, and fill in the ranks again. Why would you do that? Like, it just made no sense to me. Um, I'm hoping that there's a, something better awaiting Crosshair, especially because he wound up being a lot of fun for us this season. He was a formidable foe. He's very skilled and very proficient as a warrior. I would love to see him have further stuff, and it just, they kind of killed his motivation. Like I felt like they just did not know how to draw some of these characters when, when push came to shove at the end of it, I felt like, again, I've said this last week, they wasted echo that they wasted tech that record just got progressively worse and worse as the season went on. And they just kind of like left him to do nothing. And crosshair really got no treatment as we moved further and further into the series. So I was intrigued. Like I was on board. But dare I say it, I, I don't know how much replay value the show will have for me because it started on a really high note and then I thought it just, it really plateaued and then it started to move downward. The set pieces were cool. There were some really neat moments, but I don't know how much I'll continue to visit it because the characters just, they just didn't, they didn't grow enough for me as the show went on. 
Bry, your take on Crosshair and where he gets left? Yeah, I mean, I I saw it as survival instinct more than anything, which is counterintuitive to what he does at the end of the episode by staying on Camino all by himself. But I just, again, he's he's a bit of a fair-weathered fan. Like, I think he thinks his way in the galaxy is going to be with the Empire because he has the most faith in them, for lack of a better term, winning. Um, I... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, I actually, I came into this season and if you go back to our first episode of previewing the bad batch, I came in him not being my favorite character. Um, he was intriguing. Like you said, he was a formidable foe. He was, he was fun. Um, we got some really cool visuals around him. I really like when he took out the rest of the stormtroopers um, in the part one of the finale, just all, all of that worked really well. Again, Star Wars is very much built upon redemption, constantly on redemption. And I don't, I didn't want him to fully turn. Now he didn't fully turn, but he kind of turned. So I don't know. I'm intrigued by what storyline he gets. If he does become a full-blown bounty hunter, I don't necessarily find it interesting if he were to just show up with Sid in the next one and they're like competing bounty hunters. I really hope that's not where it's headed. Uh, but I really, I just, I just don't know. Yeah. So let's, let's use that to pivot to season two and, and a wish list of sorts. What do you hope to see from a season two of the bad batch knowing that we're going to get it now? Well, hearing I, what Brian said, I now want to see the odd couple of Sid and crosshair. Where's my blaster? <laughs> I, I don't know what I want from a season two. I know what I don't want is what we got in the middle of season one. And that's just constant week by week. Uh, finding Omega in a weird spot because she's inexperienced and having to save, having to save her out of whatever she puts herself into. Um, I think Hunter is a very intriguing character. I want more of him. I know you said Echo and Tech weren't used, but Hunter is the most interesting of the group. So if we have Hunter and what he's going through, it, it works for me. Again, I didn't care for the character of Sid much at all um, the entire time. I expect she's going to play some sort of role. I just hope they build some sort of continuing narrative that they can constantly go back to. Here's what I would like to see, and I think they laid the foundation for this. And if I had to guess where they were going to go, uh, especially with the destruction of Kamino, I think now you're going to start to see a pushback by the clone forces that I think you're going to start to see some insubordination. Uh, we were expecting or hoping for some all-out fight for Camino when there really wasn't. It was just they got cleared, cleared out, um, sort of a la Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront, where there was a fight between the new stormtroopers and the, the TK units going against the CTs. I think you're going to see that in some form or fashion, and I would like to see that be the, the final stand for the clone troopers, is to realize... The Empire is no friend of theirs and that there's going to be some kind of armed rebellion and maybe they're going to they're going to fight. Now, obviously, they're going to def be defeated, um, but it would be nice to see that. Mike, you got anything there? I don't think I I don't have anything to rebut that. I, I don't either. I, I really have no idea what to expect from season two. I, I I feel similarly to you that I hope they find a real plot and stick to it and that if they are going to do episodes that don't advance that bigger plot that they find ways to invest in the characters a bit more beyond the ones that they invested in this season um i, I think I, I think i shared with you guys and you know shout out to star wars theory uh on youtube the the guy makes really good content and he had a i think a very even tempered take on the bad batch and he uh he, he used similar language to us in saying you know we hate the term filler episodes but there were just lots of episodes this season that did nothing to really advance the characters and didn't really seem to stick with anything and you know i hope that they can i hope they can rally there's 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 a lot of really great stuff that we enjoyed in this but you know we've said it star wars theory said it other blogs i've read have said it like nothing lived up to the premiere I have the not. The pilot episode for Bad Batch was outstanding. It set the bar, and we just never got back up there. I have not watched that video. You did send it to us. I didn't watch it because I didn't want to uh, plagiarize unknowingly what, what he was saying, but I'm going to go back and watch that now. But I, I, I mean, can we all agree that like Dr. Pershing and working in cloning is simply just in his family 
lineage because that has to be his mother at the end with Lama Su. Like he looks exactly like the the clone guy from from the Mandalorian. As much as we've said this, good be- shout. Yeah, as much as we've said this before, I'm really hoping that everything doesn't devolve into the grander like Skywalker saga. And again, it's just all I I understand. All roads lead back to the narrative that we've already had, but I just, I'm, I'm really hoping that we just don't go down that road. And then this just becomes a way to just feed the Mandalorian and then feed into the Skywalker saga. I want to see them develop original stuff. I mean, that again, that's what I'm so excited about visions is it's just so radically different from anything we've seen. I like playing in the sandbox with the star Wars universe, but at this point cameos impress me more than like just something being completely connected. And we, we said this, like I didn't want Harrison Dula for two episodes. Like I don't need that at this point. So I'm really hoping that while it's, it's cool to see these little touches of the cloning facility and feeding into um, what we know is going to happen in the Mandalorian. I just don't, I don't want to see it. All right, gentlemen. So let's take a turn and let's, let's get into the game for the day. Uh, This is really fun. The guys over at Earth's Mightiest Weirdos are weekly talking about the What If series on Disney+. Plus. So we thought, what a fun way to apply the very same concept over to the Star Wars universe to kind of pose the question, what if, and if, there, you know, the, if you haven't watched the Marvel series, it's predicated upon if something goes just slightly differently, how that would spin off and create a a different branch or a different timeline. So today we're going to play What If. There has been a little bit of this, Brian, as we're going to talk about with our first What If. There has been a little bit of this done already by Dave Filoni, especially when it comes to the prequel that he's talked about a specific moment. So let's use that one as kind of our example, if you will. The What If... Qui-Gon had defeated Maul. What if the duel of the fates had gone very differently? Let's start out with that one. And Qui-Gon had not fallen to Darth Maul. If he had lived, if he had continued to raise Anakin Skywalker and guide him along his Jedi path. Let's play that one first. And I want to start with that one because Dave Filoni has actually, he spouted off on that one. Yeah, if you watch Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, which is in season one, and I believe it's the very first episode when they talk about just the legacy of Star Wars, um, he talks about this fight. Uh, The reason they call it the Duel of the Fates is Qui-Gon, a.k.a. the father figure that Anakin has always wanted versus the dark side. And had Qui-Gon beaten Darth Maul, he would have been able to have been raised within the Jedi force the way that or within the Jedi council, the way that Qui-Gon Jinn wanted him to be um, had Qui-Gon not been killed. Ultimately, Dave Filoni says Anakin never would have turned to the dark side, which completely changes the course of all of star Wars history. I lo- so many of these. And, and as you see them again, so many of these kind of point back to Anakin Skywalker and his development. Uh, fascinating enough I think there's a lot of touch points along the life of Anakin Skywalker that if they had gone differently, I think it really could have altered his fate. The the first, obviously, being if Qui-Gon Jinn had lived, his tutelage would have been very different. He would have been brought up very differently in the the Jedi Order. Let me ask you guys this question as sort of a a follow-up to the what-if. Do you think that Obi-Wan was just ill-prepared to take on a Padawan at, at his juncture in life? Either one of you guys can jump in on that. Go ahead, Ruby. Yeah, he wasn't ready. Not not in the slightest. You know, I, I think it's... You, if you look at the way that they, they manage the Padawan relationship in the Clone Wars, even when Anakin gets his Padawan, he's still largely apprenticed to Obi-Wan. He's still connected with him in a very serious way. So it's as if... You know, you know, he's become the line manager for Ahsoka, but he's still got a director above him in, you know, in corporate organization. And suddenly Obi-Wan, without any other guide to help him as a manager, (laughs) he's he's not a real good people manager. And so Obi-Wan is kind of thrust into management and he knows how to teach Anakin how to be a good Jedi in terms of this is how you hold your lightsaber and these are the basic skills, but he doesn't teach him 
the greater part of being a Jedi, which is learning the selflessness and learning to really be able to, you know, manage and deal with conflict in a way that's, that's more meaningful. I think the way that Anakin and Obi-Wan address each other is probably the best way that I can characterize how ill-prepared Obi-Wan was. Brian just said it perfectly to say that Qui-Gon was the father figure that Anakin probably needed. And Obi-Wan was never a father figure, and nor does he call himself that as his, as his master. He's a you brother. Were my, You're my yeah. brother. And You're my he, brother, Anakin. Yeah, and he kind of treats him throughout the Clone Wars as a, co, a co-equal. And there's a lot of times that he should handle Anakin, I think, a lot more sternly that he doesn't. That he gives him a lot of leeway to do different things. But I also point to Obi-Wan as, as a very flawed Jedi in his own right. I mean, we're going to talk about this later on because we have a great what if uh, centering around his romantic interests. But Obi-Wan was not, I guess you could say, the prototypical Jedi in, in that he had a lot of failings himself. He was romantically linked. Uh, he had a lot of desires. He was very. Flawed. He was reckless. Yeah, he's. Flawed. I mean, it's in. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, you know when when Yoda, when Yoda says about Luke, he's reckless, and Obi Wan says, "So is I." If you remember, you know that's what he meant. He was he was not as disciplined, and he was not as ready. You know, he you know for as much as Obi Wan talks about you know, or Yoda talks about Luke not not being ready, not ready for the burden. Obi-Wan was not ready for the burden of being a master. He did it out of an obligation to his fallen master. You know, I think if you had asked him otherwise, hey, do you want to take up this kid and train him? He probably would have been like, no, bro, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Wholeheartedly, I agree. If, if given the choice of being a master to Anakin, he wouldn't have done it. He did it out of duty and obligation to, to Qui-Gon because that's what Qui-Gon wanted. And his last words were, you know, train the boy. If Qui-Gon hadn't, given him that mandate, I don't think he would have done it. And I think that that, uh, you know, as Brian says, Dave Filoni kind of sets that up. This is the most pivotal moment in the Star Wars saga. It's, it's obviously the moment that sets everything into motion. It's why it's perfectly called the duel of the fates. What if Qui-Gon had won, then Anakin's life would have gone radically different. I think everything would have, would have been radically different from that point moving forward. I don't even think, I mean, we could get into this, just this one for, for hours and hours on end. I don't think the Clone Wars would have gone the way that they went. I don't think that Sidious would have operated the way that he did and, and been able to manipulate Anakin the way that he did if Qui-Gon had lived. With great interest. Yes. So, awesome stuff. All right, guys. So, let, that's, our, that's kind of our, our example, if you will. Uh, Brian posed this one, which I absolutely love. What if Luke had been adopted by Bail Organa instead of Leia? Man, I thought you were going to go with what if Obi-Wan had taken the offer of death sticks. I really wanted to discuss that one. <laughs> he would have been uh, sitting right next, to, right next to the Martez sisters in the lower portions of Coruscant, just like down and out, uh, eating at Rex's diner all the time. Trying to get his like his 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 grub on after he got high. That that's what it would be. <laughs> yep. So if I mean, what if yeah? What if Bail Organa like? What if he wanted a Prince of Alderaan? What if he simply said, "My wife and I have always wanted a son to carry on our family name and didn't want a little girl." And Leia is the one that has to go back to live with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. What would have happened? I still believe that things play out in a very similar, if you're watching Marvel studios, what if the captain Carter episodes still plays out fairly similar to how captain America, the first Avenger fight or plays out with several different changes um, season or episode two, where we get, if T'Challa was picked up by Yondu instead of Peter Quill, the entire galaxy is completely, completely different. I feel like, if we're going to compare between the two episodes, this would be similar. You just have Leia acting in the place of Luke. Um, I think Leia is just as capable as Luke to do everything that Luke does. Uh, but I, so, I mean, it may not be a completely interesting 
what if scenario, but I would love to see Leia being a Jedi all along. I think if anything, Brian, it accelerates Leia's Jedi training. I think Luke would continue to be from go. I think he would basically take on the role that Leia did, which is to be an active participant in the rebellion. But I think Luke would have probably have begun combat training much earlier than he did. Um, I think it, if anything, that adds a different dynamic in that I think you then have two Jedi rather than Leia coming around. It doesn't take her until Return of the Jedi to really start to actualize her potential as a Force user. I think she does that much, much sooner. But I think if anything, it introduces the two Jedi much earlier working together in tandem. If Luke is on Alderaan. That would be my speculation. The real question is, is Obi-Wan more upfront with Leia about having a brother and things like that? Because I could see that, too, of Obi-Wan being willing to be a little bit more. I don't know. Like, maybe that's just me being. I don't know. Maybe, do you, but just do you think that that exposes Luke, though, Mike? If Luke is on Alderaan and he's more actively involved in the rebellion at an early stage, do you think that that exposes him? Because Vader sniffed him out almost immediately. Well, Vader, Vader only sniffed him out because he used the Force to blow up the Death Star. So I, I, I don't know that he sniffs him out. I, I think what, what would be highly enjoyable about it is that, to, to Brian's point, I think that there's a lot of things that play out in a similar fashion. And I just on a, like an enjoying the movie level, I think the interactions of seeing Leia buying the droids and Leia going to Moss Eisley and her interaction with Evazan and, and Panda Baba and her negotiating with Han Solo for the Millennium Falcon for safe passage and then her rescuing Luke and being a little short for a stormtrooper. I just think the fun of what that would be would be wonderful. The same way as, you know, in, you know, in the Captain Carter episode, we saw Peggy doing all the things that, that Steve did. Um, you know, from a story level, I think, she's, I think she would just be much more mature. She wouldn't be as impatient, and I think that she would actually be a stronger warrior, and I wonder if she actually gives Vader more of a run for his money in The Empire Strikes Back in the Battle on Bespin, and is much more mature about it and maybe doesn't even go back to try and save him because I don't think she's as compassionate as Luke is. That's a fair point. He always says, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're stronger than I am. You always have been. I think she, I think she may look at it and looking at the, the, the fate of the galaxy. I think she may be more like Yoda and Ben than Luke is where Luke understands the Jedi are flawed. And I think she may look at it and be like, we got to bring the galaxy back and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's what I was born to do. Yeah, I, I like that. I would tend to say, like the what if with, with Peggy Carter, where you see Captain America almost taking on like a, a Iron Man role in that you have like that, that armor. I would like to see that same scenario. I think, again, you'd have Luke and Leia fighting side by side much earlier than you, than you would if, if she goes to, to Tatooine and learns under the tutelage of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because I think, again, um, this is going to sound horrible, but being a male, I think they would probably mix, mix up Luke into a more combat role in the Rebellion than they did her. She played the role of the diplomat. I think him being a male, I think he would be militarily involved in the Rebellion much earlier. And he would get if roped... The ship, then where's the ambassador? Yeah. I don't see him taking on the role of a, a diplomat. I think him... I think he would probably get wrapped up with like Saul Guerrero and the rebels. I think he would probably, it would have accelerated his training so that when she comes around, uh, that you have two people that are, that are force users fighting and it would have been a really cool dynamic. So I love that. That was an amazing one. Brian, thank you for offering that. What if, uh, Brian also offered this, what if, which, uh, again, kind of ties back to the Anakin timeline, but what if, and going to the animated side, uh, what if Ahsoka had never left the Jedi Order and hadn't been expelled? Hadn't that was Ruby. That wasn't me. Oh, that was Ruby. So, okay, Mike, claps to you. I love this what if. So why don't you start it since it's yours? Cool. Yeah, I, I, think, it, I, think, that there's a, I think it plays out very differently if 
Anakin has someone who he's responsible for aside from Padme and has another confidant within the Jedi order when he's going through his stuff and somebody to either chill out with him or to be an influence and say, Hey, you don't like how they're treating you. Then let's both get out of here. Like, I think the one thing that, that Ashoka has, has so shown through all of this is that she's not loyal to anything except Anakin. She's loyal. She's loyal to her principles and she's loyal to him. And so for the same reasons that she bounced when the order treated her wrong, I think she would just as easily, if she saw the Jedi Order treating him wrongly and also saw that the Emperor was a real bad dude, I think, you know, she either helps influence him to stay and do something right, or he confides in her about Padme's pregnancy, and she helps him manage that stress and helps him manage that fear. And, you know, if she's around and the the council's making the calls that it makes— Maybe she jumps in the space. Maybe she jumps in the ship alongside him and goes to Mace Windu's rescue, and he doesn't make that fateful decision all on his own because it's the two of them staring down the Emperor and Mace during that battle, and they make a very different change. Bry, what's your take on this? What if I, man, the episodes of the Clone Wars when she leaves the Jedi Order are so when when Anakin meets her outside. And he can't convince her to stay. It, it, it seems like it's in Anakin's and I know it's, it's not, but it seems like it's in Anakin's nature that he wanted to go with her. I think what makes this more interesting, not, not more interesting of a what if, but what if Anakin had chosen to go with her instead and they both left? I think, I think that would be interesting. But it, again, if, if Ahsoka, if the Jedi didn't act so, nearsighted and and kick Ahsoka out, I, I think Ahsoka becomes one of their most valuable assets. I'm a gigantic Ahsoka fan, so I'm very much blinded by my love for her, and I understand this. But, man, again, she's Anakin's conscience, if nothing else. I think if she's around, like the, the Siege of Mandalore, when he comes back face-to-face with her, she plays it cool, She's fine, and he is giddy as a schoolgirl. He gives her the lightsabers back. He just does he does everything because he loves her so so much. If she's around, it's it. None of it plays out the same way. She doesn't even have to be there in person. She just needs to be in his life. I think her expulsion from the order was another thing that just further eroded his trust in the bureaucracy of the Jedi Order. And Correct. I think that. The Jedi, and again, we've, we, we just said this a few minutes ago, the Jedi were flawed. It's why Sidious was able to rise. It's, it's their hubris that really brings about the rise of the Sith. They can't see their own failings. They can't see the fact that their, their blind devotion to tenets and to doctrines that are long since kind of irrelevant is really causing their demise. I think that they, they just, sometimes the Jedi could not see the forest from the trees as much as they, they espoused wisdom, they didn't, you know, they didn't know the difference between wisdom and, and knowledge. And they didn't know well enough to get out of their own way. When they expel her, I think that that then erodes in his, in his mind some of the things that he sees going on and his, his faith is shaken. Why does he not feel comfortable enough to come forward to Obi-Wan and reveal his relationship with Padme? Why does he keep so much of this stuff secret and hidden save for confiding in, in Palpatine is because he had lost faith in his ability to confide in anyone in that Jedi temple. I think that that lack of trust at, in the Jedi temple really comes from this moment. If she had not been expelled, I feel like he still could have very much have salvaged his faith and his trust in the institutions. This is the, I think, the death knell for his faith in the Jedi's ability to arbitrate these kind of matters. And therefore, at that point, I think it's a real break for him. I think he shuts down. I think he shuts down. I, I mean, we can take it one step further, too. Like, if, if he's able to continue to convey how 
if he's able to continue to convey how good of a Jedi master he is by her being his Padawan still, does he gain the rank of Jedi master? I would argue to say that he very well could yeah. because his leadership is on display. She's going to vouch for him. Obi-Wan's going to vouch for him. It changes the course of, of everything in his life. Well, let's parlay that over into another what if that we came up with. What if Mace Windu and Yoda had granted Skywalker the rank of master? I think if he's granted the rank of master, um, it again does it, it helps to reinforce his faith in the order and it takes one additional chip away from Palpatine. You know, this, this is because they don't give him that rank. Palpatine is very easily able to say, and he does say they don't trust you. They don't believe in you. They're afraid of you and your ability. If they say, cool, Anakin, you're a master. We want to hear your voice. We want to empower you. We believe in you. Then the moment that, you know, Palpatine reveals himself, Anakin can say, Hey, these guys have my back and you're evil. So, you know, there's, there's, there's no ambiguity here. These guys, you know, the, the fact that, that Mace has to say, you know, if this guy proves to be the most evil creature in the entire galaxy, then you'll have earned my trust. Oh my gosh. I mean, basically Mace has told Anakin, there is nothing short of finding the worst threat in the galaxy. That's ever going to make me trust you. So yeah. no, no wonder Anakin doesn't flinch as much when he has to think about cutting off Mace's arm. For me, it's just, it's no longer outrageous. It's no longer unfair. That's all I have to say. I don't know if him making the rank of master derails Palpatine's grand scheme. It does place somewhat of a barrier in his way. It doesn't make it as easy as it does, but I think ultimately the poison that he poured in Anakin's ear was they are, uh, they're not going to take kindly to, to Padme. They're not going to understand she's going to die. And only I offer you the know-how to save her. That's only something that can be offered through the dark side to resurrect her. I think if anything, again, and we said this with other stuff, the fact that he didn't have that close connection to the Jedi order hurt him. That when that, that honey potion was being poured into his ear, there was no one to refute it because he had no one to confide in on the other side. I feel like if Ahsoka had been there, if he had made the rank of master, if he felt included in the process, it would have made Palpatine's job harder, but I don't know if his fall would have necessarily have been stopped by him being a master. I think it would have done a lot because I think that that moment where Mace says, "I he's 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 evil. He's too you know he's too powerful to live. I have to end this," you know, and Anakin literally says to him, "This is not the Jedi way," you know, up until the point where Anakin turns. Anakin's actually trying to play it by the Jedi book. He's it's it's really in that moment where, as he says to Obi Wan on Mustafar, I see the lies of the Jedi. I see the hypocrisy. Mace Windu is the the ultimate turning point for him. It is Mace is the example of everything that is wrong with the Jedi Order, and I think that it, that if Mace could have gotten out of his own pride and hubris and gotten out of his way and been a better leader that I think it's a very, it's a much, much, much more difficult task for, uh, for Palpatine. And it may have also opened the door for Anakin, you know, the same as Ahsoka would have been uh, a conduit for him. If he's given the rank of master and Mace is at his side and Mace believes in him, maybe he tells Mace, I've, I've had vision. I, I have a wife. I've had visions that she's going to die. And, you know, I think that Palpatine has something to do with it. Then maybe Mace says, look, I'm going to help take care of her. I'm going to protect her. That's putting a lot of trust in the Jedi order. I, man, I think he gets expelled. Yeah, I think he, I think he would be expelled too. <laughs> I, I don't know. I it's, this think is this where... might accelerate Palpatine's plans now that I'm, now that I'm talking through it a little bit. <laughs> Well, see, here I'm thinking this too. I'm, I'm saying, okay, so what if Mace lets Palpatine live and stand trial? Then execute order 66 is delayed because obviously he can't 
He can't execute it if in that moment he's placed under the control of Mace Windu and Anakin Skywalker in a united front. Maybe that then gives the Jedi an opportunity to see that there is something darker afoot. I don't know. This is really fun, though. But is he really? I, I think it goes back to the very first what if that we asked. Is Anakin absolutely fated to turn and join Palpatine if Qui-Gon dies? You know, I think we've I think we all we've all kind of agreed a little bit that there's a strong likelihood Ahsoka could have helped to stop it. But given given the total disarray and machinations of the Jedi Order, is there any way that he is there any what if scenario that he doesn't turn? I don't think so, because if he really is the chosen one and he's fulfilling the prophecy, like, didn't they just do the simple math? How many Jedi are there and how many Sith were there? You knew this wasn't going to work in your favor. He's going to bring balance to the force. How do you do that? You kill all the Jedi. Yeah, but that's that's assuming that balance means that we have an equal number of Jedi and Sith, whereas I think that their interpretation of balance is that they've wiped out evil and that everything's fine. Balance equals peace, not balance equals equality. Oh, I get that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's equality, not what. What is it? Equity, not equality or equality, not equity. No, it's equity, not equality. It's not it's not about an equal number. It's about fairness. And you could argue that evil is not fair, so it should not exist. Yeah. All right, guys, let's do one more. This one I really love, as we know that we're going to be getting an Obi-Wan series with Ewan McGregor. So let's do one that's Obi-Wan based. What if Duchess Satine had lived? Ooh, can I go? Yes. I want to go. <laughs> I love Satine Kreese so much. I think at some point, if she had lived, it, depending on how she lived, if she literally like escapes the Darth Maul being held at the throat of the Darksaber, if she escapes that, she immediately gets the courage to ask Obi-Wan to leave the Jedi Order, and he has already said all it would have taken was for her to ask eventually she's going to get the courage to ask him to leave and he was going to do it. And I am all here for children of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I, I, I think eventually if Duchess Satine had lived, she eventually gets up the courage. Mandalore is not taken in the same manner. They're able to defeat Darth Maul in that particular circumstance. Mandalore still thrives. It's a completely different galaxy and it's very, very interesting. And I don't even want to know where it pushes off, but I don't think Mandalore ever goes into the dark ages. And, and Obi-Wan leaves the Jedi order at some point for her because she finally gets up the nerves to ask not to do this and bring it. It always comes back to Anakin, but I think give, if that had happened and I think if Obi-Wan had left the order, if he had devoted himself to that relationship, I think that would have also emboldened Anakin to do a very similar thing and just remove himself from the equation almost completely. 100%. And I think that would have, again, have stopped or at least delayed Palpatine's plan in that Palpatine would have had to then groom another apprentice or find someone else to influence because Anakin wouldn't have had those same anxieties. He wouldn't have had those same worries. He would have just walked away, married Padme, lived a wonderful life with her together and not worried about the grander narrative of being a good Jedi and following in the Jedi way, because I think Obi-Wan would have showed him an alternative path than sticking with the order and as it being either you're here or you're not. So I think again, not to do this, but I think a decision like that also rubs off on Anakin in a gigantic way. Not only do we have a thriving Mandalore, which I love, but I think you have a thriving galaxy. Well, or it ends up being an accelerant in the opposite direction because now there's no barrier of Obi-Wan and there's no mentor and now he's been abandoned. So Qui-Gon convinces me to leave my mother alone on a planet. He, he britted it. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, Qui-Gon took me off a planet and my mom died. Obi-Wan took me off and my mom died and now left me behind. What do I got left? I got good old Grandpa Palps. Well, I no, I think what do you Grandpa have left? Sheeve. Yeah, I think what do you have left at that point? I think you have Padme and also 
the confidence to know that, hey, like my master did this. I can do this too. I can find love. And I and can, you don't think Palpatine could still give him the nightmares that his wife is going to die and convince him that the only way to save his wife and unborn children is to turn to the dark side? And there's no Obi-Wan or anyone else to try and steer him? He becomes the common man, though. He's not spending time with Sheev anymore. That's how I would see it. Is he would just well, Sheev a- can still pluck him out. I mean, by, by the time all, all that happens... Sheev's already been exposed to what Anakin's capable of. Like he's gotten word back about this kid who went 11 rounds with Count Dooku and yeah, he lost an arm, but Dooku knew he was in trouble and they've been, they've been skirmishing throughout the course of the Clone Wars, you know, by then like Pops knows he's got a young Mike Tyson, you know, in training. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I just don't see Pal. I mean, Palpatine, just let me live in a galaxy where Obi-Wan Kenobi gets the girl and lives happily ever after. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. hey, Obi-Wan can get the girl, but I, I, I still fear that he and the, uh, the, the, the army of Mandalore have to jump into battle and fight the invading empire and the Sith. I would watch that. Well, we're only getting six episodes of Obi-Wan, so a love interest is very unlikely in, in that run. So let's just live fictitiously in this concept of what if. Guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for helping us fight through some of the technical issues. They happen. Listen, they happen ultimately. Uh, Thank you to everyone who joined us from home. We hope that you enjoyed this exercise. Guys, this could actually be a fun one that we can do from time to time. I would like to revisit this one. Uh, Coming up next week, we are finally going to have The Last Jedi see its day in court where we have our Star Wars court. And we are going to determine uh, the level of uh, what, what should we say, Brian? How should we approach this in court? <laughs> it's, is it going to be like rotten versus like good or, or what are we doing? No, I, I want to hear. I haven't ever had a civil enough discussion with somebody who can articulate why they don't like The Last Jedi without talking about space horses. So I want to know more about what about that movie a really didn't work for you originally B that what you're coming around on now and see why you think that the rise of Skywalker was the correct movie to come behind it. I like it. (laughs) Stay tuned for star Wars court uh, in two weeks from now. Thank you so much for joining us in our galaxy far, far away for my co-host Brian Lee and Mike Ruby. Thank you so much, and as always, may the Force be with you.